the San Francisco Experience podcast. Brought to you by Jim Herlihy. Independent commentary from a Silicon Valley perspective for a global audience, featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 25, Episode 1, Britain's Growing Diplomatic Presence in California. Talking with Tammy Sandhu, Consul General of the United Kingdom in San Francisco. Great Britain has had a diplomatic presence in San Francisco since the 1870s to facilitate trade, investment, commerce, and cultural links between our two countries. If California were a sovereign nation, it would rank number five in terms of nominal GDP, just behind Japan and ahead of India. The state is a leader in tech innovation with Silicon Valley at the center. California is also a trendsetter in terms of government policy in such areas as the environment, alternate energy, climate control, and more recently, artificial intelligence. Again, our guest is Tammy Sandhu, Consul General of the United Kingdom in San Francisco. Hello, Tammy, and welcome to the show. Jim, hi. Really great to join you on your podcast. Well, thank you for taking the time. And Tammy, please take a moment and tell our listeners about your diplomatic career. Of course, with pleasure. Well, I'm really lucky. I have had a really varied and fun diplomatic career. I have been a diplomat, a British diplomat for 18 years. I joined the UK's Foreign Service uh, back in 2005 out of graduate school. It was a career that I always wanted. I had worked through university with this in mind, mainly because, uh, call it idealistic, but I really wanted to have an impact, a positive impact on the world. I went to an international school where that was the ethos and that really stayed with me. So it really felt like an incredible thing to become to become a diplomat. It felt like a huge privilege and a huge responsibility. So I had I started my career off in London as we as we all do and then went overseas. So I spent some time in Iraq and then from there went on to do a job in Morocco in our bilateral embassy in in Rabat. From there I went to our mission in Brussels, our mission to the EU. After that, went to India, which was an incredible experience because I am of Indian origin. And so it felt like a huge privilege and honour uh, to serve in my country of origin, but for, for the British government. And I've done a, a whole variety of jobs, everything from looking at kind of political trends in a country, developing political relationships. I have been a UK government spokesperson. Um, I have worked on crises, so terrorist and political, politically motivated crises and hostage um, hostage situations. Mm. Uh, but I have also worked in kind of what we might call the back office of the administration. So I have worked in HR. I think it's really important with any organisation that you work in that you understand how it works, how mm. it operates. So I have worked kind of in international HR. I was in international HR at the height of COVID when we had that this the awful job of having to take really hard decisions around whether or not we needed to bring our diplomats back to the UK during COVID if we weren't sure about kind of health systems. So incredibly kind of important decisions that really impact people's lives, but also impact our UK's presence overseas. I will mention one more role that I did before I came here, because again, I, I, I took real pride in it. 
I was the chair of the um, Foreign Officers Race and Ethnicity Network, actually at the time um, of George Floyd's murder, when we saw that incredible movement happen around the world. And so I sort of led the Foreign Office response to that, both internally in terms of how we needed to change ourselves as an organisation, um, but also thinking about how do we how do we make our foreign policy and our development policy to better suit the needs of kind of diverse communities. So that that's that's the brief plotted history. And then of course <laughs> I came here back in 2021, and I've now been in San Francisco first as Deputy Consul General, and now as Consul General for three years. What a fascinating career, both onshore in the UK and overseas, and varied assignments. Very impressive. And Tammy. Tell us about the mission of the British Consulate here in San Francisco. Maybe what might be helpful, Jim, is to talk about the difference between a consulate and an embassy. Yes. Because, of course, we we have an embassy in Washington, D.C. That is our sovereign embassy. They are the embassy is the is the place that they are the office that deals with our relationship with the federal administration, talking to their counterparts at federal level. We have another eight consulates, so what we call networked posts or subordinate posts, because we are subordinate to the embassy, that are engaged at a state level. We have eight of those across the rest of the US. We also have UK government offices in other cities where we feel that it is we need a presence. So, for example, in my patch, and my patch, by the way, spans from Northern California all the way up, up the coast to Oregon, Washington, Alaska, and across to Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming. So we also have an office in Seattle, uh, largely because of the tech presence there with, mm-hmm. with Amazon and Microsoft. But I think what is what is interesting is, so I think what we don't do, and I think a lot of people think that what we do is visas, and actually it's the one thing that that, that we don't do at our, <laughs> our consulates. Um, lots of those lots of those functions have actually been been very much kind of centralised. Some of those functions uh, happen more in the UK than they do overseas. But actually, our job here is really to develop relationships with the state of California. As you said at the beginning, in its own right, it would be the fifth largest economy in the world. I think there are a number of things that we are seeking to do. So whether that is furthering policy issues, I think, you know, we are very aligned on a number of areas of a number of global issues. So there's always a very natural partnership, I think, between the UK and California. And so a lot of what we are trying to do is further policy issues where we see eye to eye. So that might be around AI. um, It could be around climate change and the environment, but actually some more local issues like housing. And maybe we can get Mm. into some of some of those issues. Um, We also, and one of the things that we are long established as doing, is facilitating business and trade uh, in both directions. So whether that is um, helping US companies set up in the UK or helping and encouraging US investment and capital into the UK, but likewise helping UK companies to come and set up in this part of the world, or as we see a lot of startups and founders coming to the Bay Area looking for partnerships or for investment. We are supporting all of that. Uh, And then I'll mention two more things that we do. We obviously support British nationals that live and work and come and visit this region. So whether that is people that unfortunately get themselves into hot water while they are here, it can be anything from, you know, some quite serious cases to, you know, things around um, domestic violence, mental health Mm. issues, all the way from that to kind of a lost passport. 
Mm -hmm. um, we have a team here that does that. And then I guess the final thing I say, and, and you mentioned this, is sort of facilitating those cultural connections. And really, for me, that's about how we project a really modern, diverse, vibrant UK. And we do that through lots of different ways. Ones of note, um, we have a, a scholarship for US students called the Marshall Scholarship. It's a two years paid scholarship for mm. US students to, to go to the UK for graduate school. Uh, so that's one of the ways in which we kind of facilitate that long term exchange between the UK and the US but we also do that through other cultural links so whether that's through the arts you know you see um, whether that's exhibitions at the Legion of Honour we have you know we have we have a great black British artist coming out to the UK in a little couple of months time we have a cookbook author of Indian origin coming out as well to launch his his cookbook so all of these things sort of project possibly a UK that, that people don't necessarily see in the headlines and so we are seeking to kind of project all of the great cultural links that that we have between between our two great nations. Fantastic and of course San Francisco has become a leading center for artificial intelligence with 15 of the top 18 AI companies located here. As a result Sacramento-based legislators are weighing new policies that balance innovation against safety. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak convened an AI safety summit at iconic Bletchley Park last November. What were the conclusions around fostering innovation and safety? Great question. Um, and maybe, maybe I should start by expanding a little bit on what you said about why a summit, because I think right now AI is on everyone's mind uh, and it's on everyone's mind for a very good reason. I think there is a there's a running joke, particularly in kind of government right now, that if you say you want to talk to your head of state about AI, that they will absolutely take the call and take the meeting. Um, and in Prime Minister Sunak's case, it's because he very much understands the risks associated with artificial intelligence. I think there are a lot of unknowns. And part of the summit was to try and talk through with government leaders, with civil society, with the tech companies and labs that are developing these AI models, to try and think through what are some of the risks of this incredible technology. And that is everything from the quite um, catastrophic to things that are really much more immediate. So, you know, we are both the UK and the US are facing elections this year. And I think if you think about one of the things that we are both very interested in and will be a challenge for us both is how is AI going to be used in those elections? What is the impact uh, of that? But also in elections around the world. So if you, you know, Taiwan is coming up, very relevant, India, mm -hmm. you know, largest democracy in the world. So I think a lot of the reason for doing this was for us to get ahead of some of the issues that might face us, to sort of horizon scan, if you if you will, in a way that maybe we didn't do with the internet. Um, I don't think we knew just how what, what was going to happen with the internet. And the internet was created, of course, for, for, for adults. And now we are sort of retrofitting the internet um, to work for children. So we don't, we don't want to be in that situation again. Mm -hmm. I think that, so I think some of the things that came out of the summit was really an agreement on what of those those risks are and how we might mitigate some of those those quite serious risks what it did was sort of in some ways deliver a process for how we're going to take these things forward so how are we going to get a shared understanding of the risks particularly around kind of frontier frontier ai 
issues and that was between 28 countries and we committed to producing a report on on kind of the state of the science an agreement on the science behind AI and what's kind of driving this uh, what we did in the UK as well was to develop a an AI safety institute so really kind of investing in the cutting edge research on AI safety working with all of those AI labs and that's really our priority right now is getting that safety institute up and running Mm -hmm. what we are thinking about in the uk is how do you do this how do you set up sensible guardrails without stifling innovation as you say how do we keep make sure that ai is still a force for good and is still used as a force for good while leaning without without creating too many new areas of regulation so i think lots of our in in the uk we have lots of sensible areas of regulation already and so some of this was for us is about empowering our existing regulators the online safety act is a really good example of that where we already had sort of legislation ongoing for how we we make the, the the internet safe for children but essentially, the summit was was really, it, it was the first of its kind. It mm-hmm. was establishing a framework for international collaboration. And, and part of it was making that a sustainable process. So we, we've set up the next, the next AI safety summits. And that work will be ongoing. AI regulation, of course, has to be global in scope. And hopefully, all of these global initiatives will converge. How do California's efforts to legislate AI safety and innovation inform British policy and how does British policy inform California's legislation? Of course, you have a staff here in San Francisco. I imagine from time to time, some of your staff goes up to Sacramento and talks to our legislators. Talk to me about how our legislature in Sacramento and British legislation, how the two of them talk to each other and compare notes and learn from each other. This is one of the things that we are doing more and more of. And just even in in the time that I have been here, we have really kind of built out even our our staffing to be able to to accommodate all of that. So I think one of the things that we absolutely understand is that if you influence the state of California, you potentially have an impact both at federal level Mm -hmm. and on the global stage. We very much hold California up as a model, particularly if you think about kind of climate policy, hold them up as a model whereby we will say, well, California can do it, then you can do it too. This is how they've done it. Let us tell you how they've done it. So we very much kind of work with each other in a sort of two-way street to, to influence some of the actually some of the big existential issues that I think that we we, we face as a globe. And AI is is one of them. Climate is another. I think and we have quite a strong track record of where we cooperate quite strongly on regulation. I would say one of the ones that I have been sort of closest to and that I think I've seen really good progress on is where California has used UK legislation to influence its own development of the age-appropriate design code. So, Could you give us an example of that, actually? Because I wasn't aware of that. So this is, so the Age Appropriate Design Code was a bill passed last year and California, so assembly members basically worked with UK legislators to design a code that essentially made the internet safe for children. Mm -hmm. 
And we have just, we passed last year the Online Safety Act. It got royal assent just towards the end of last year. Uh, it's been a really complex piece of legislation, a really important piece of legislation. And what it does is it sets out for companies, any company with a presence, so largely tech companies with a presence in the UK, with a market in the UK, uh, they don't need to be established in the UK, as if, they, if they are operating in the UK, have customers in the UK, there are various things that they need to do to, to make sure that their websites, their platforms are safe for children. Mm-hmm. What the legislation now does is essentially put in place regulatory powers so that if that doesn't happen, we can we can now fine companies a percentage of their profits. Mm. And so what California legislators did was to, to sort of co- almost copy and paste that piece of uh-huh. legislation to promote kind of privacy by default. So children's... So, what we our principle in the UK and the one that now California follow is a kind of privacy by design. Mm-hmm. So you build privacy into your models at the start. And so what the act does is make sure that people comply with that, that, for example, uh, children have parental consent, that that's built into a in, into uh, particular websites or models, um, that information, information around children is held securely. And, and that if, if companies don't abide by that, you can kind of carry out punitive measures. So that's been a, an area of really close collaboration between, between both sets of legislators. What a great idea, because, I mean, essentially what you're doing there is taking best practices and it, in a sense, it doesn't really matter where the best practice originates, whether it's in the UK or California or Washington or Australia. But, you know, having the wisdom to look at the best practice and say, gee, the UK got this legislation right. Why don't we simply do what they did? And you, you also have the benefit of the implementation of it and uh, seeing how it's being seeing how it's been administered. So I think that's a terrific idea. Do you have any other examples like that where where we have where we've been able to copy and paste what uh, what the UK is uh, is doing in terms of legislation? Yes, absolutely. And, and and one of the things which is not not necessarily about um, legislation, but just in terms of, of of best practice, I think one of the areas that we've really worked closely on is offshore wind. I think so. The UK we've we've done a, a lot of work around offshore wind. We're very proud of the efforts that we've we've kind of made in the offshore wind industry and also in the floating offshore wind industry. So you know we we have this target to make sure that offshore wind actually starts to power every home in the uk and if we if we met our target if when we meet our targets which we i'm sure we will we want to develop up to 50 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030 with five gigawatts of that coming from um floating offshore if we do that every home in the uk will be powered by by offshore wind Hmm. and actually last year a really interesting fact really really proud of this fact wind generated most of the electricity than any other energy form in the uk last year really uh, for the first time ever yeah absolutely so so we have really as a government invested in that technology california are now looking at the same technology but are slightly further behind us and i think one of the you're absolutely right one of the reasons to share best practice is this is a team game we want Mm -hmm. everybody using renewable technologies we want everyone to meet their targets Mm -hmm. um and if we can share best practice 
quicker adoption of technologies. Our economies grow as a result. It's, mm-hmm. it's a win-win situation. So one of the, I mean, it's quite quite specific, but really quite interesting areas that we're working on is the impact of offshore wind on the fishing industry. So we, our offshore wind farms are, I mean, they're located all around the coast of the UK, but particularly around the north, around Scotland, which is big fishing industry territory. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of work around how do you, how do you engage those communities? How do you, how do you use the science and the data to reassure them about the impact of offshore wind on their livelihoods? How do you make sure that you build out this sort of new industry without leaving behind people that may be engaged in more traditional economies and so this is one of this is an area that that california and indeed oregon as well are facing at the moment and so they are talking to us and talking to our experts around how you know how did we engage what studies did did we conduct you know how did how did we you know how did you go how do you go about doing this in a way that you know, you don't make the same mistakes that we made, mm-hmm. and so that we, so that California can adopt it quicker. They can adopt at scale, um, so that they actually attract the investment from from some of these big energy renewable energy companies. So, so that's one area on offshore wind. I'd say the other area is sort of expertise around how you build out a floating offshore wind farm. There is, you know, it's an incredible amount of kind of technology that's involved in that. Uh, a lot of pitfalls, and so they are working with us. We have a, um, a kind of floating offshore wind. It's called a catapult, where the sort of researchers, government, uh, and industry all come together to share best practice. And so that catapult is sort of working with California to talk about how do you build out that infrastructure? What are the services that you need? Now, how do you build out the service the services around um, offshore wind farms? Because it's not simply about the offshore wind farm. You've got to have all the other services that link into it. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the examples. Uh, kind of a front of mind at the moment and and really quite relevant if we get that right we hopefully impact impact our climate targets as you said it's a best practice that the whole world benefits from when britain is using less fossil fuels to power its uh, its energy grid and relying on wind we here in california the whole world benefits from that and ditto if california is able to adopt some of those best practices from britain we've learned from britain and we're you know so the more we can share technology like that i think that's a terrific example another really pressing problem and you know this tammy from the three years you've spent here in san francisco is the high cost of housing and the fact that there just isn't enough of it are there any lessons to be learned and any best practices that california can look to the uk for to give us to give us guidance as regards how we jumpstart the building new homes in California for the people who need it to particularly to deal with our chronic homeless problem. It can sound a little strange about why is a foreign government working with a city or a state on such a kind of domestic issue? And I think it's as you said, it's because we face the same issue. Yeah. A lot of, and I think I think these are these are certainly coming to the fore because of electoral cycles, but but regardless of that, inflation, the high cost of living, the high cost of housing are issues that we face on, on both sides of the Atlantic at the moment. I think one of the things that we have done and um is one of the th- 
things that we have actually very recently been talking to, to California and the, actually the city of San Francisco about is what are the barriers to ownership? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the, whether they are structural barriers, whether they are kind of demographic issues, whether they are red tape issues, what are they? And mm-hmm. therefore, how do you kind of deconstruct those? One of the, the things that's been really successful in the UK has been something called the shared ownership scheme. And that's, it's sort of where somebody pays partly pays rent and owns part of their house so they they have they take a 75 percent share and they pay rent to either the developer uh, or a housing association or a council for the rest and and this is this has worked really really well in the uk and it's increased the amount of home ownership by kind of looking at the the finance models Mm. that you can that you can use that are quite innovative that allow you to own your home uh, and, and slowly over time, 100% own your home. So, and last year, actually, in, in October, we brought out a delegation of experts from the UK, from the from the kind of the equivalent of the US housing department. They came over to San Francisco and across the West Coast uh, to talk to government and civil society about how, actually, not, not only how is housing is an issue, but also how can it be, how can housing be a, a springboard for other things? You know, how can it actually, if you create, good housing with good public services that regenerate deprived areas of a city how mm-hmm. does that actually springboard other kind of public issues whether that's public health issues and also how does how can housing help us to kind of recover fully from covid because i think uh, you know covid was one of the things that really impacted both of us so these are some of the ways in which we we sort of support share best practice on on some of the the, the more sort of i guess domestic issues mm-hmm. We've covered, we've gone from artificial intelligence to wind farms, to fishing, to housing. I guess I'd have to say, what doesn't the UK and California, what (laughs) issues we share? Uh, Are there other issues you think that are ripe for uh, for us to collaborate because again it all comes down to best practices if the uk has a has a model which is working there let us take a look at that let us see if that's adaptable to adaptable to our circumstances and and let's adapt it there's and and vice versa has there been any flow from california to britain in terms of influencing British policy with a California origin. I mean, on your question about what don't we do, I think actually (laughs) our challenge, Jim, is that there is so much that we could do. And this is, you know, really very much part of our job is how do you hone in Mm -hmm. on the issues that can have the most impact and also where you insert yourself as government where you can most make a difference, you know, where it wouldn't happen on its own, mm-hmm. where otherwise there would be a market failure. If I think about, I, I, I was just thinking about a delegation, actually, that we brought out in my first sort of 18 months here, which was which was really unique. And I, again, maybe something that, that people might be surprised by. If you think about one of the key kind of landmark moments uh, in the California, in the San Francisco calendar, it's San Francisco Pride. We always march in San Francisco Pride. But one of the things I really care about is making sure the issues around kind of underrepresented communities aren't just things that we talk about and live just at those moments. So what we did was actually we brought out a delegation led by a minister 
of LGBTQ plus UK founders and startups who were really looking to see how could they grow their business? How could they get the capital that they so deserved? And so one of the ways in which we really look to this part of the world is to sort of share that experience and knowledge that is so vast here on how do you become a science and tech superpower? You know, the UK has this ambition. Uh, we are the third largest tech sector after the US mm. and China. Mm-hmm. We have a, tr- our tech sector is valued at a trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. We have more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. Really? do and actually what we want to be doing is building out more of those and so for example we are doing brilliantly at universities and colleges in the UK starting to spin out some of those companies but one of the things that is so unique to this part of the world is that that convergence of the research that comes up with the novel idea the capital and you know that that enti- having that entire ecosystem here. So one of the things that we do is we bring out companies that want to emulate that, that we want to emulate that, so they can mm-hmm. bring back some of that knowledge to the UK. Well, Tammy, in the remaining few minutes of the podcast, and, and you've you've done a, a terrific job in laying out so many varied areas where uh, the UK and California collaborate, and uh, in no small measure due to your own enthusiasm and high energy that uh, that I'm sensing in this conversation. But in the closing minutes of the, the podcast, what are your closing thoughts as regards the future of this relationship between California and the UK? It sounds as though we, we have a, a terrific base to build on and that we're, we're collaborating even more closely. I feel like this is my my exam question of what is my north star <laughs> look you're absolutely right we we collaborate across some incredibly important areas and i think really that will only go from strength to strength whether that is research collaborations whether that is business types whether that is cultural links community links whether that is shared expertise in legislation i think or the thing that we will see we already see uh, but we will see more and more of is the uk and california joining forces to solve some of the biggest challenges that this that the globe faces so whether that is ai whether that is climate i think you will see the uk and california work together to try and come up with some of those really novel innovative solutions while doing the great job of growing our economies for the future. Well, Tammy, how can our listeners follow the great work that you're doing there at the British Consulate here in San Francisco? Brilliant question. So we are on all popular social media channels. Our account uh, is at UK in underscore SF. Uh, I am also uh, personally on all popular channels at Tammy Sandu. So you can follow the British Consulate General in San Francisco on LinkedIn, on Instagram, and on X, formerly known as Twitter. Well, Tammy, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. And I look forward to the ongoing progress in this uh, in this key strategic relationship between California and the United Kingdom in really putting a spotlight on best practices and for both sides learning from each other. So kudos to you for making that happen in your three-year assignment here. And again, just keep up the great work. Thanks very much, Jim. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure. And for our listeners, today's episode is number 488. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, 18 platforms in total, 
and join our listener audience in 60 countries. Feedspot has recognized us as a top 25 California news podcast. This has been the San Francisco Experience Podcast with Jim Herlihy, coming to you from San Francisco. Thank you.